Hello. Hello. Yeah, I can hear you. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. All right. It's interesting because I've got a fancy microphone here, but I'm now not sure if it's working. But I can see my levels as I speak. So, hey, it'll be fine. Let's just rock on and see what happens. It'll be fine. You okay? Let's trust the universe, Michael. Trust the universe. How's your Monday going so far? Well, um, I've got an I've got some kind of ear infection, um, so I'm deaf in this ear at the moment. Uh, so I guess that makes us uh, equal. Yeah, I mean it's not a competition, but since you started the competition, yeah. now you're going to go deaf in both ears. No, better than that. I've got man flu plus deafness in my left ear, which I think gives me the win for okay. the ultimate Monday victim. You can have the win. <laughs> Oh, good. Well, I'm sorry to hear about your ear infection. They can be a biatch. Yeah, I mean it's not too bad. It's just um, a bit of pain and a bit of uh, bit of deafness. So I can live with it for now. Yeah, it's the what I find. I did a sensory exercise. I can at drama school back in two thousand and two, three, whenever it was, and I remember getting sight taken away and being led around and feeling kind of looked after, you know, it felt okay. But then hearing being taken away, that was genuinely fear-inducing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there is something about that. Yes. I'd like to hang on to all of my senses for as long as possible. <laughs> <laughs> Likewise. But what's your thinking on the hippie hut? Um, well, so I heard most of your message that you left this morning saying that you want to take a slight more kind of coaching sort of angle on things. And I thought, well, right now I'm in a kind of, uh, I'm actually kind of like slightly in limbo because I have, um, I've given a notice on my workshop in London. So I'm moving out of there after a decade and I've approached Brighton Council with a proposal that I sublet a shop on the beachfront, just a few doors down from where I currently have a studio on the beachfront. Mm-hmm. And if they approve it, then it's going to change my life in some really exciting, radical ways. And I've been, um, you know, I sort of feel like it's offering me an opportunity to, to um, be very entrepreneurial and self-sufficient. Um, and that's been something that has been on my mind since I was a kid about my work, about keeping it within my control and not having people sort of interfering in it. And this is potentially offering me an opportunity to, yeah, to do all sorts of things and to complete a whole load of work and projects and ideas that, um, yeah, that I've been thinking about um, uh, for a a really long time and I was about to like perhaps let go. So so the odd thing is I don't know if it's going to happen but if it does happen, then I'm going to be, yeah, throwing myself into this kind of new way of working and being. So I'm quite happy to kind of talk about that and what's led me up to this point. And I mean, all of that is kind of so kind of like linked into, I think, um, also a kind of process of like personal growth and healing and kind of, you know, that's been a pop, you know, part of that, a part of that journey as well. So that's all kind of up for grabs in terms of talking about, you know, 
What is limbo again? I, I'm going to have to Google it. I can't remember what it means. What is that? Well, limbo, from? I think, is in the area uh, where you're um, not in one place or another. So oh, you're yeah, yeah. Well, hanging. I think limbo is between like life and death. Right. Let, let's find it. We, we've got to find out where it actually comes from. Like this is one. That, it's probably Greek or something. It's not, like to, it's not to do with the voodoo, is it? Sounds like it should be limbo voodoo. Uh, here we go. Limbo meaning. Mm-mm-mm. What is the meaning of Uncount- uncountable noun? If you say that someone or something, yeah, yeah, but I want to know where it comes from. Dictionary meaning, lovely. See, this is the problem with Google. It just gives you the most superficial understanding, and most people only go first page Google, don't they? Meaning and why is limbo called limbo? Let's try that. It is conjectured that limbo is a West Indian English derivative of limba. Merriam-Webster lists the etymology as English of Trinidad and Barbados, akin to Jamaican English, limba, to bend, from English limba. Really? That can't be that right. like limba dancing. dancing. In Catholic theology, limbo is the afterlife condition of those who die in original sin without being assigned to the hell of the damned. There you go. So it's between... It's a it's a sort of place where it's kind of like neither one thing nor another while you're you're being held. For, I think word, that's it. okay, nice. And the word is of Teutonic origin, meaning border or anything joined on. The concept of limbo probably developed in Europe in the Middle Ages, but was never defined as a church dogma. And reference to it was omitted from the official catechism of the church that was issued in 1992. Mm-hmm. So deprived of the joy of eternal existence with God in heaven. Is that how I feel? Maybe I just won't use the word limbo. (laughs) Maybe (laughs) call it something else. Otherwise, we could spend, uh, you know, an hour discussing limbo. Well, we could, but I I was, it's actually a genuine inquiry as to how you really feel. Because like when we met, which we don't have to talk about, but my experience of you as a human being is, of somebody who embodies joy, certainly in certain circumstances. And that's one of the reasons why I was looking forward to talking to you again is just the fascinating human being that you have come across to me as so far in our handful of conversations. So when you mentioned the word limbo, it's just one of those words. We we all use it. And I so I wondered if, yeah, if it really represented how you felt. I mean, genuinely, I want to know uh-huh. how you- well, it's it's I'm I'm using it to to represent a state, which is that I am waiting to find out the decision of Brighton Council, and um, therefore I'm in this kind of moment of kind of hanging, whilst I'm fine. You know, my fate in a way is resting in. Well, it doesn't. I wouldn't actually. I wouldn't say that. That doesn't really make sense. But um, but anyway, I'm, I'm waiting to see how the, the the chips fall or the cards fall or whatever. Because if they say yes, then I'm full steam ahead on a plan that is going forward. But I think what's really nice about where where I am at the moment as a human being is that I don't uh, put all my expectations um, on the idea that one opportunity is the answer to my hopes and prayers. And so if they say no, you can't do that. I'm fully expecting them to be behind the idea that I have, which is to to create puppet theatre on Brighton Beach in a venue, preferably. I don't want to just be busking out there on the seafront. Um, And so if this doesn't work out, it is still a kind of, I've made a first introduction to them to sort of say, this is who I am. This is what I want to do. This is the vision that I have. And I'm already on Brighton Beach. I already have a studio. So part of me is like, hey, whatever happens, you know, this is all good. And this is like, 
uh, if this works out, amazing. But if it doesn't, I'm still starting a new chapter because I'm moving out of my workshop that I've had for 10 years mm. and that will free me up financially. Um, and that way, uh, you know, and there's just lots of good stuff ha- is happening. I'm, n- I'm in a kind of creative, like I'm in a creative moment in my life, you know, where I've got my mojo back. I'm making lots of stuff. I feel supported by the universe in my endeavors and um yeah I'm really happy I mean I, my life feels like the older I get the happier I get and um and so that um that's that's all good with me you know that's quite a statement I mean personal share I agree it's weird I don't know about you but I wouldn't have expected to be able to say that as I turn 50 tomorrow oh my god (laughs) yeah but hey no but i mean if you you mentioned your younger days and and you talked about entrepreneurialism and having that level of control like can you take me back to when that first Mm -hmm. i just you know right from when i was little like i can remember being at primary school at a village uh, I was born in New Zealand um, and we came over to the UK when I was seven. So I must have been seven, eight, something like that. Seven, eight, nine, I don't know, because I know I went I went to a prep school when I was 10. So I know it was between the age of seven and 10. Um, and on a Friday afternoon, um, they used to have this kind of drama session where in like little groups, you could make up performances and, and go and perform them to the rest of the class. And so most people did, did most kids did this in groups of three or four. And uh, I was kind of like, you know, I knew I was a performer. I knew I had a talent for for that, even at that age. And I knew that that a lot of the kids in the class didn't have that talent. And I remember feeling a bit kind of like let down by their lack of ability. I did. I was going to do a one-man show. And it was going to be about a um, a boy who finds himself miniaturized and uh, and at home. I made all these props. I got a pair of my mother's nylon stockings and stuffed them to make this kind of giant worm. And I yeah. got a big cardboard box and I cut a, a big apple shape and I painted it up to look like a, a giant apple. And I went in on that Friday afternoon with my you know with my props, my special effects. Yeah. And- um, and perform my one-man show, which of course all ended up with a kind of like it was just a dream. I didn't really, yeah. you know. And there was me on the carpet, like struggling with this worm, like breaking its neck. Uh, <laughs> elaborate fight sequence, but yeah, uh, you know, the kids were pretty impressed that I had props. Yeah, uh, and uh, you know, and I felt like secure, and it was kind of like I don't have to um, compromise my vision to. <laughs> Uh, you know, with these kids who can't act and, you know, won't understand how to handle the worm prop and make it look real. And, you know, so, yeah, I mean, I remember that element of myself. <laughs> and, um, and yeah, I've always just had a sense of kind of like, let me do my thing. Like I, th- there's some, some part of kind of self-expression where it's like, it needs to be my expression. And, and that's not to say that I can't collaborate because I have collaborated an enormous amount over the years and collaboration beautiful and wonderful thing but um i need some area of my life where my self-expression is totally mine and representative of me and i mean a good example of of what sort of set me off on the course that i'm on is that i can remember when i was a child and i mean star wars had a profound effect on my life uh and is possibly one of the reasons why i went into puppetry that you know because there are some incredible puppets in um star wars you know like yoda jabba the hut 
you know, a lot of these creatures are, are, are puppets and, um, and I was blown away by the magic of that. And I can remember when Return of the Jedi came out in 1983, I guess it has been about eight years old. So similar kind of time. There was this picture of George Lucas and it's quite a famous one. And he's surrounded, he's in this great big room and it's surrounded by all the props and models and miniatures and maquettes, the creatures and special effects involved in the Star Wars, uh, mainly Return of the Jedi. And he's kind of there at the center of it. And I remember this picture filled me with so much kind of excitement and yeah. um, magic, you know, this man who had kind of created this incredible world, you know, and at the time I think I, I sort of saw that as all being George Lucas's vision and almost as if he had handmade all of these incredible props and, and uh, special effects. And, and of course, as I got older, I began to realize that no, it was the collective, you know, talents of lots of different people but at the time when I was a kid, I remember just feeling that um, I wanted to be one of those people who could share my vision and, and create a world in my mind and, uh, and hand make it. You know, I wanted to do all the jobs. I wanted to be, you know, the person who came up with the idea, i.e. George Lucas, but I also wanted to be all the special effects technicians who kind of made those things. And so now looking at where I've ended up in as a puppet maker and, and storyteller, um, who creates a story and then hand makes everything in order to to um, to uh, create that world and invite people into it? I'm like, yeah, I can see there's a you know direct line running to that sort of eight year old kid, uh, and some of the the things that are potentially coming into my life at the moment are you know that that child's dreams are still kind of coming true, you know, and trying to ever refine you know how i how i make these these things happen and how quickly i can make them happen so so something and maybe it was just me i haven't done a poll or a yeah. survey i haven't done a survey or a poll on eight-year-olds but uh, i can remember being eight and there's no way that i would have been trying to work out who was behind all the things in star wars or whatever the movie like the fact you had this level of understanding to look at George Lucas among the puppets and think, I want to be George Lucas. Like as an eight-year-old, if I got to see a movie, well, I was happy anyway, because we didn't have a TV till I was 11 and I left home age 11. So I never got to watch TV at home unless we hired a TV a couple of Christmases and it was crackly, terrible reception. Anyway, I'll get over my childhood issues. However, <laughs> it was a gift. It was a gift, damn it. Back <laughs> to screen and a... No, no, it was just a TV hired in the old days when you're, you're old enough to remember when you could hire TVs. Anyway, my point though, my point, Michael, well, you're nearly as old as me. I know. The point is, you're a much better dancer than me. Anyway, off that. My point is, my actual point is that understanding of the creative process sounds absolutely remarkable for a child. I well, I you know, looking <laughs> looking back at it, I I see that it sort of is, and uh, and at the time, I was um, people, yeah, people did remark on it, <laughs> um, and um, the interesting thing is, is that I had very little aptitude in, you know, I I couldn't work out how to tie my shoelaces or tell the time and. Um, you know, I, in all other subjects, I was just like, didn't have a clue what was going on. But in my own mind, I had this kind of sort of like laser focus about the things that I was interested in. And, um, I, 
I know that, I mean, I was a very, for a number of reasons, I was quite a, I felt very at odds with the world as a child. And I retreated a, a lot into my imagination. It became basically a place of refuge. And so I spent a lot of time in my imagination and planning the things that I was going to do. And, and the, and there were just things that would turn me on in such um, an incredible way, like films. And, um, you know, I, I, one of the, the, a big influence on my life also, apart from George Lucas and Jim Henson, um, is a guy called Ray Harryhausen, who lots of people will probably have heard of because he, was a um an animator um and uh, did stop motion animation films that were very popular in the 50s 60s 70s so, uh seventh voyage of sinbad um jason argonauts the original clash of the titans um a whole load of stuff and his films <clears throat> just completely yeah electrified me the idea that he would hand made these incredible creatures all these all these creatures from mythology the medusa and the cyclops and dragons and two-headed birds and all sorts i mean uh, and to me you know people talk about sort of yeah sort of movie magic and i kind of think yeah yeah you know he ray harryhausen is a, a sort of film magician and so yeah even as a, a kid i was like trying to make stop motion animation and I would watch a Ray Harryhausen movie or a documentary that was about, you know, his life. And I would literally just like lay out newspaper on the floor. My parents would let me put all my kind of making stuff. And as I watched these, I would be making my own puppets, you know, just like be fueled up on inspiration. And I mean, when I was 12 years old at my prep school, I got into this prep school. Basically I took along a kind of a big bag of puppets and my drawing. Um, and you know, one of them was the rank, my version of the Rancor monster from uh, Return of the Jedi, and you know, had this kind of like little light inside of it. So if I if I turned this light on, it would light up the inside of the Rancor's mouth, and this, you know, God knows why, but anyway, it was uh, something I'd figured out. And so they let me into the school, although I had they were kind of like you know his his academic sort of records, you know, tests are abysmal, you know, but clearly he's um you know he's got something to offer to the art department uh, <laughs> uh you know i i decided to make a film and and this boy had a video camera so i got him to come in and i learned how to i got my father to buy me like liquid latex rubber and in the apartment i sculpted a a head i cast it in plaster of paris took a liquid latex mold put the joined the two halves together painted it up even sewed on poppers, you know, so you could like pop it around the back of his head. And it was all this kind of gruesome Freddy Krueger style masks I'd written in this film about, um, about the school, uh, caretaker being burnt down in his, um, in his caretaker's hut by some boys that we, you know, we were playing the boys. And, uh, and then he came back as this kind of, you know, it's clearly influenced by Freddy Krueger, yeah. uh, back as this burned kind of zombie to murder yeah. us. And, and uh, so I got permission, basically, to to film some of to, to make this film. So there I was as this kind of twelve year old director, and I was also playing the lead part. And I'd made like a model, of <laughs> and there was one of my friends with my latex rubber mask on, kind of coming out of a bush trying to yeah. kill us. We filmed about you know three or four scenes, and then you know I think we all lost, you know, went off the boil about it. So uh, we we never had a release date on it, unfortunately. <laughs> but that's. I was very focused, you know, that was, that was my thing. I was obsessed yeah. uh, by all this stuff. You you said something that I'm 
I wonder if we can go back to you talked about feeling odds with the world. And so you've retreated into this creativity. And then that's on the one hand for me. And then on the other hand, there's this parallel between Brighton Council, who you're waiting on to see if they'll let you do X, Y, and Z with your puppet theater and that school letting you in. And my little observation was that school, I mean, maybe they let you in or maybe they thought, holy shit, this guy's amazing. we got to get this into the school. So, yeah, that, that's just my observation at this point. Like you you had this creativity in you burning a hole in you, uh-huh. and you and you felt at odds with the world. I mean, how do you feel now? Do you feel at odds with the world or how do you feel now? Uh, not in the not in the same way. Uh, not fearful in the in the way that I was when I was a kid. Um, uh, yeah. So the world the world is, has become a friendlier place, and my perception of the world has has altered greatly. Um, yeah, and and, and and you know what we were talking about earlier about saying that the older we get the happier we get you know that for me has been a massive relief because actually I, yeah. I wasn't very happy in lots of ways growing up and and I can remember in my early 20s thinking like how the hell am I going to get to the end of you know my lifespan given you know let's just assuming that I had a sort of average lifespan you know I just kind of thought how, how am I going to do this I just I was so unhappy um you know, having counselling, psychotherapy and stuff like that. And so to be where I am today, a much happier person and um, with a lot of kind of, I've fulfilled a lot of my creative dreams. And so there's a part of me that sort of feels relieved by having done that. You know, sometimes when people say to me like, oh, it's great that you know what you want to do and you've always kind of known that, I sort of think, well, it is great. To, you know, and it, and ultimately, I've recognised that in life I've had a vocation, mm. and you know, to have that kind of understanding and that knowledge and that certainty of where you want to kind of put your energy, it's great. But at the same time, also a vocation is a big responsibility because it's not something that you can cast off very easily. It has consequences if you, mm. <laughs> you know, if you uh, choose to discard it, and. Um, and there have been times when I have felt that this obsession, you know, and I didn't even really even recognize it sort of, you know, that kind of obsessional quality to, to, to who I am um, for some time, you know, people started sort of saying, why do you do puppetry? I'm like, I'm not exactly sure, but I just have the sense of like, that's what I've got to do. And, uh, and there have been times when I kind of thought, God, I wish I'd had an easier route. You know, I don't, especially times when I'm struggling to make a living out of what I do. And, you know, each month is a struggle to kind of keep my workshop running and to keep food in and to pay the rent and, you know, approaching 50 years old, I'm kind of like, this is exhausting. Um, so I need it to kind of financially kind of work out. Otherwise, um, you, you know, uh, going back to the vocation idea, I've got to this kind of point where I feel like, do you know what? I feel like I have honoured that now. I feel like I got to a point where I was like, right, I feel I have in some respects kind of fulfilled this kind of little mission that I've been on. So I could walk away from it at this point. I mean, I'd never stop being a creative person, but, you know, trying to put on kind of theatre shows, uh, you know, it's a complicated and expensive business. 
And I'm also a an illustrator and a painter. And, um, you know, I've got other ways to, that I can express myself. It doesn't have to be through puppetry. Hmm. So I kind of thought, yeah, I've, now that I'm enjoying the world more and I'm a happier person and I feel like I've fulfilled my mission, I, 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 I could take that burden off my shoulders and, um, yeah, go and, li- go and live in Brighton, have my little art studio, do illustrations, yeah. and, uh, you know, who knows, go and work as a waiter or work in a vintage clothing shop or, you know, just do something, uh, you know, I, that I could enjoy because I, I, I wouldn't have that niggling kind of sense of like, oh, I've got to kind of make my own show or I've got to do this or I've got to do that. It's like, well, I've done those things done those things already so you know it'd be nice to be able to continue doing them but you know i can also i also have the right just to to be on the planet enjoying myself as a human being and and um and and not being obsessed and turning my gaze more outwards to kind of like yeah there's plenty to see and to absorb and to watch and to enjoy on planet earth you know uh, there's more to life than puppets i was gonna make a quip about politics and puppets but i won't even bother i'm getting the feeling that you feel like you've creatively fulfilled at least a good portion of your potential but maybe from a cash flow point of view it would have been easier when people said why do you do accountancy you could have said well because i'm loaded buddy is there an element where the financial side it would be nice if it caught up with the creative side yeah i mean as you get older you know the realities of getting older begin to kind of sink in you know there's a big stretch of time where it feels like it's okay to take risks and who cares about the money and it's easy to kind of feel like yeah the money will come along at some point and i'm gonna gonna make it work and and then at, at a certain point i kind of thought well actually do you know what? Maybe the real payment. I mean, I know the real payment of of a kind of creative life is the creativity. That's the enriching thing, not the money that you get for it. Um, so it's not my ambition to make a, a a huge load of money. But you know, I need to go to the dentist and get my te- get my tooth fixed, um, and I can't do that at the moment. And there are some other things that I need to do. Um, and I, you know, I've got nothing, I've got nothing in the bank, nothing to kind of fall back on. Um, and you know, maybe that's okay at 25 and you can go to your parents and sort of say, would you mind paying my dentist bills? Cause you know, but approaching 50 to go to your parents and sort of say, could you pay for my dentist bill? You know, it's kind of doesn't feel good. And <laughs> certainly from my parents' perspective, they're kind of thinking like, when's this? When's this boy going to sort of throw in his, uh, throw in the towel and go and do a proper job, you know, like go and become a teacher and get a pension and, you know, but um, I'm very stubborn and I, I, um, yeah, I still, it's very, it's very hard to like let go. It's really hard to let go because when I, when, when I think about letting go and perhaps going and do something else, you know, and, and all the time it, it, w- it would require, for me to become a teacher, you know, and all that kind of stuff and all the energy I'd have to throw into it. Part of me thinks like, have you done everything that you could in order to fulfill some of these things that you still want to happen? You know, shows that you want to make, books that you want to illustrate and write, you, you know, have you, have you done everything that you can do? And the answer is no, I haven't. And so part of me then thinks, well, all the effort that you'd have to put into becoming a teacher or, you know, why don't you throw some of that into making your projects happen? You know, you've got to kind of, 
you know, it's the grindstone. You've got to have the discipline to, you know, create, you know, pre-visualize these projects so you can take them to a producer, you know. So so before I throw, ever could throw in the towel, I'd have to be at a place with myself where I've kind of felt like, no, I can, you know, I've done all I can and now I can walk away from it. And um, it's difficult. You know, I'd never really quite ever reached that that moment where I think, right now time to go and become a teacher okay how much is your dentist bill going to be just take this as a theoretical how much is your dentist bill do you think i've no idea but let's say 500 pounds right so if if me or one of the listeners wanted to send you 500 quid with no strings attached what would you say i'd say thank you very much uh may the universe bless you and may all <laughs> forevermore <laughs> Okay, cool. So you would you would accept it? Yes. All right. So what if there was a way to commercialize and that's all we did there. We commercialized your requirement for a, some dental work by putting it out to whoever. I also need a facelift value. Long I'm just mentioning that. Now. You, you need a what, sonny? Facelift and a hair transplant. <laughs> it's it's not just teeth. Right, anyone who's anyone who's listening on audio, ignore Michael. He's a very handsome figure of a man. He he looks like a Greek god to me with his fine beard and and hair. He's talking utter bollocks about needing a facelift. But anyway, uh, that being as it, talking of is is Thor a Greek god or a Roman god? Nah, neither. neither. Norse Viking. Of course, of course. Anyway, back to the, my point though about commercializing. I mean, what if there was a way of commercializing what you already do? that you haven't thought of or tried or? Well, in some ways, I mean, that's, um, and I guess, you know, we mentioned it earlier, which is that um, I'm hoping to open a a space on Brighton Beach, um, which can be, I'm looking at a multi-purpose, flexible space. It could be um, a sort of open workshop, um, but also a, a mini performance space, but also a shop that can sell, uh, not only things that I make, but also, you know, there's the opportunity to things that other people make or, uh, you know, toys or whatever, you know, that are related to puppetry, like little things. You can even just sell like little finger puppets and, you know, to open, to have a kind of sense of people could come in, talk to me as I'm doing my work and might walk out with, say, a self-published book of my doodles and drawings of that I'd make when, I, when I'm creating characters. And, you know, so there's all sorts of ways in which I could definitely um monetize what i do if i've if i've got a little shop and people can come in and and uh, 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 and so for the performance aspect there's an idea that you know i can the shop is big enough that i can have like a little mini stage and potentially on the weekends you know like four times a day i could do a 25 minute show for like 10 to 12 people so that on Brighton beach, you can kind of get a whole lot of passing trade, but also, you know, there are Brighton residents as well who might kind of think like, what are we going to do with the kids? So let's take them down to the beach. And, you know, even on the off season, you know, there's the potential to do um, shows and, and even during the week, you know, stuff aimed at kind of preschoolers. I've done work, created work for like as young as kind of two plus, and at one point, I also had the experience of kind of like holding a space for be- for parents to bring babies, and we mm. would 
do some songs and puppetry and then I'd have all these like you know we turn the lights low and bring out all these kind of multi-sensory things that could light up and the, and play you know sent you know quite spacey music and you know so there's all sorts of ways that you can create like experiences for people uh, you know that's that would be the amazing thing of having this space you know and um it would give me the opportunity to experiment and explore because I am an ideas person and having a having somewhere for those ideas to have a their moment you know that's the the problem up until now is that i have so many ideas but taking them through to completion especially if you're dreaming up shows you know it can cost like 70,000 pounds to put on a puppet show for you know when i was working at the angel theater in london which is a puppet theater and i found out it's cost 70,000 pounds to stage a show you know it's it's like wow you know, but if I've got this shop, it's not going to cost me anything. In fact, it will, you know, make me money. Question. Have you got the one of these notebooks, journals, scrap, what, what do you call them, sketchbooks? Could, uh, could I see some of your doodles? Uh, yeah, I mean, if you give me a moment to... Yeah. Um, we can. If you take five minutes, we can edit it out. No drama. Well, it, um, I've got a sketchbook in my bag. I mean, it, it's not. they're not going to be particularly exciting, but I can... That's cool. I don't need excitement. I just want an example. Okay. Actually, I remember there is a copy of a book I illustrated. So that I, um, these aren't doodles. These are finished illustrations. And I also have a sketchbook, which has got rough drawings in. But there's this character. Uh, we, we did three books on this character. Uh, a friend of mine wrote called um, Amazing Esme. And it's for children who are five to eight years old. Amazing Esme. Amazing Esme. Cool. Show uh, me the scrapbook. The, have you got one that's mm-hmm. rough stuff as well? Yeah. But yeah, in terms of like sketches, I mean, I draw very roughly when I'm sketching and most of um, the doodles and and uh, character designs that, you know, quite a lot of them are like full colour. These kind of things aren't, you know, but there's, I've got this character who's a cat. And uh, so I was... I'm thinking about these like little green screen films that involve this this character, and a lot of the time, you know, I'm, I'm just jotting down the the ideas that that I'm thinking. Yeah. At the- I've got an idea, and I'm with your permission. I'm going to share it with you in a minute. But before that, what what are your thoughts on AI in terms of creativity and the future of um, art? You know, the creative arts that you're heavily involved in and have been your whole career. Well. I guess personally, I don't feel particularly threatened by AI because I'm not a 2D artist generally. I mean, although I do do illustration and stuff like that. Um, so I feel that in a way, what I have to offer as a kind of three-dimensional performance is something that AI would have a hard time competing with. And, I agree. And stop. In the stop. You did, I, I'm going to stop you because that's all I wanted to hear. Okay. Because I, I just needed it as a preface for my idea. So I'm going to make a suggestion, and you can just accept it and think about it, or you can say that's ridiculous, or uh-huh. you can haggle it out with me a bit. Imagine this scenario. Imagine that your thing, company, entity, I don't know how you're currently formed as a trading entity, you can accept money in some way, I'm, a, I'm a assuming. Yeah, down the front of my top. <laughs> 
<laughs> okay, but let's say there's something a little more organized than down the front of your top. There's a trading enterprise. I'm a sole trader. So, yeah, okay. But so. whatever, it doesn't matter. My point is, what if your entity somehow allowed other people to get involved? And I mean financially, for what they get is, well, what I would get. I can, I'm imagining myself, right? Let's say I put in my 500 pounds to pay for your dental work. You do whatever you want with the money. But let's imagine my 500 pounds gets me one share in the amazing Mikey's studio enterprises on Brighton Beach. Peter Kazooie is, uh, is my, oh, Kazooie is my, is my company name. Cool. So in Kazooie, anyway, the point being, it's not like you're anti AI and anti the modern world, but you're presenting this beautiful alternative that sort of quaints the wrong word, right? It's super, it's like genuinely creative, uh, but it's something where people can actually interact with real things in a way that I would say lots and lots of people, myself included, are increasingly nostalgic for and physically need. And the reason I say that is I've got tech neck. And for anyone that's had it, and that's about 70% of my respondents on LinkedIn, and a lot of people responded, it's a goddamn sore neck from looking at devices for 16, 18 hours a day, which is what many of us are doing because of our work, because of our businesses, because of our lifestyles. The addictive, you know, I I've, I went from yeah. not being an Instagrammer and thinking, you know, looking at pitying people just endlessly scrolling and then realizing I've been scrolling for like an hour and a half in the evening, you know, and and, and enjoying myself. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Oh, yeah, no, I'm, no judgment. I'm not I'm not judging people. Aside from what we have to do for work, our, our our downtime is now sort of also the screen. It's not like we want to switch it off and necessarily walk away. It's like we want to switch work off and then go and lie on the sofa so we can like, you know, browse in peace. So what if what if what you do and what you're creating offers us an opportunity to get involved? Like Brewdog, the brewing company did. They called it equity for punks or something, and anyone could invest in this sort of – I mean, they are the most amazing marketers ever. I'm not the hugest fan of their beer. Some of it's edible. But my point being, no, I mean, fair play to them. Amazing, amazing marketing. And that equity raised, as far as I know, raised a lot of money. Why doesn't what you do – why wouldn't it work? Some Some variation of that, your own creative variation of that – as an offering where people can get involved in some way. Like, I fucking love what you do, dude. It's amazing. And so many of us are nostalgic for something that's 3D, that's fucking real. It's not all digital bullshit. And there's nothing wrong with the digital stuff. It's fun. Yeah, it's cool. But everything, you know, and there's, and there is another world. And, and I think, I mean, this is my little kind of spiel about puppetry. Um, and why I think it is a sort of um, an exciting experience is because I think when you see stuff that is CGI and very slick and it's trying to convince you that it's reality, there's a part of your brain which is analysing why it's real and what real about it. And also it requires like less of you. I think you become more a kind of passive receiver and possibly a bit less invested, really, in in, in in what you're viewing, because in the back of your mind, you know, it's 
ultimately a cartoon as opposed to reality and uh, everything that <laughs> entails and comes with reality. Puppetry is different, especially kind of theatre puppetry, where, you know, for modern theatre audiences, puppeteers aren't hidden for the most part. They are entirely visible, although we might dress them or light them in a way to make them less uh, ostentatious. Um, But we don't pretend that they're not there. In a way, what we do is we make the puppetry so interesting and skillful that the audience begin not to notice the puppeteer and they simply see the puppet. And in a way, what happens is a reverse of the part of your mind, which is trying to expose the illusion, like when you're watching CGI, and instead you enter into a kind of agreement, which is that you're going to pretend that what you see is real. And and the opposite becomes true. You begin to take all the clues and, and signs that the puppeteer is giving you that there is life in the object and you invest in their in the life in the object. And so in a sense, you become a co-creator in in a moment of illusion. And because you are creating uh and uh or co-creating, that that fires up a whole different, you know, thing. I mean and so people come away with a feeling of exhilaration because they have been part of making the magic as you, you know as well as the people on stage and the and the things that they're working with and um and and that is a thrill uh, and i've noticed myself that if i'm a passive receiver watching endless amounts of stuff on a computer screen or a tv screen or whatever i can come away from that feeling drained yeah so but if I'm involved in any creative activity, I come away from it feeling charged, inspired, yeah. glowing, you know, alive. Uh, and that's why I sort of feel that we can't, we, we we mustn't let, you know, AI and screens and tech take over who we are and take, you know, it because it's um as much as it can be inspiring to see stuff, you know, that's technology based. We don't want to, we don't want to stop people from being doers. Do you know what? Do you know what it reminds me of? It's like the difference between watching a a movie, a love story that can be satisfying and cool, as opposed to actually having a love affair with a real human being. Like they're both cool, but we yeah. we both know that there's something amazing about being with another human being. The taste, the smell, the just the whole physicality of it you just can't replicate that on a movie love scene i could be crass and say it's compatible to pornography but it's not i don't think that's fair because a lot of digital content is really cool you know and really quite wholesome and just great but it's but it'll never be real life like it's never a real love affair with real passion real sex real and so for me what you're describing and what I, and for me it's a bit like theater or live comedy like these things are just Oh, they're just so raw and just you feel so good. Like, can't be. I can watch a Netflix special and have a laugh, but you put me in a comedy thing with a way lower ranking comedian, and I will just have the best night because it's a real human being taking real risk right in front of your real face. And and also, it will never happen again. It's unique, you know. Because sometimes, you know, if I'm in a long running. You know, if we're doing a puppet theatre show and sometimes we do like 120 performances and people are like, God, how can you bear the repetition? I'm like, well, okay, okay, there's a certain amount of repetition, but everything is 
you, you know, every performance is unique. Yeah, unique. And every audience is unique. And so, um, you know, you might kind of get to the theatre and think, oh, God, another, you know, show 68 or whatever, like, <laughs> oh, kind of 52 to go. Um, but once it starts, you know, you're in it and it's, um, and it's alive. It's not a repetition. It's a, it's an alive thing, uh, experience and, uh, 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 and it's, um, yeah, it charges you up. You can walk out of the theater like, woo, <laughs> you know, not, not just because that was the show before show 69. You come on, you set that one up for you, Michael. You knew I was going to say that. That's why you said 68. <laughs> well, you can tap on the laugh track after. <laughs> No, nobody will be laughing. As long as I laugh, that in all truth, actually, that reminds me. Um, that is a huge factor in why I do what I do and who I work with. Like I literally will not work with someone. I, I do like an initial call with people. And if we don't have a laugh, and I'm quite specific, I tell them at the end of the call, if we if we're wow. not gonna have a laugh, we're not we're not working together. I don't care how much they pay me, because I've done corporate gigs in the past where I've been paid insane amounts of money it was not fun and i'm i'm just not doing that yeah and and you know i i love performing and um it's a big part of who i am and i started you know performing when i was again when i was a kid and um so although i have a big thing about designing and making and and um you know all of that I, um, even though I'm quite introverted that, you know, there is a side of me that, uh, loves to, you know, really loves to perform. And, and that's what I'm trying to facilitate for myself going forward is to become a performer of my own work. Uh, yeah. for the most part in my career, when I've done performing, it's because I've been performing for other people's work and, uh, which I've loved. I've absolutely, you know, it's been wonderful to, um, to not have the responsibilities of making sure everything about the puppet is functioning and working and finished and it's not going to fall apart on stage. Set's not going to collapse. You know, all, all of the stuff that as a designer maker is a huge amount of kind of physical work and kind of like, you know, so much involved. Whereas when I go into perform, I'm kind of like, Ooh, it's like a little holiday, you know, yeah. I get fun and, and, uh, you know, for the most part I work in comedy. And so that side of me is allowed to come out and play and um, making people laugh. Uh, is just a massive it's the best thing ever really the best thing ever and so that's really like going forward like trying to make my own stuff happen and and being a performer of my own work i kind of feel like that um you know however much money i make nothing is ever going to reward me in the same way as doing the work will you know and making people laugh and sharing the magic I'm going to wrap it up in a minute because I've got a hard stop. And I apologize for the technical glitches that slowed us up at the start. But be before we finish up, I'm going to, with my coach hat on, suggest something. And obviously, you feel free to ignore my suggestion, say no, or to negotiate it with me, or to just agree and try it. Now, I'm not, I'm not attached to it, even though it's my idea. So I'm not going to be offended if you say, no, that's crazy. But I'm going to ask you to try something, to just take a few minutes and to just maybe journal on it or do it in whatever way you want, really, but just to take on board my suggestion from earlier on. Because I can imagine sending you 500 quid 
because I want to be a part of what you're doing because it's, it's not all about digital. It's the opposite. It's all about fun and engagement in real life with real humans. And there might be a business model in the future, and I don't know that yet. So I'm not doing it for financial return. If I was to send you 500 quid, I'd be delighted if you used it for your dentistry. It doesn't matter to me. But I'd want a little stake in in this bigger thing that that is Michael and his cool puppety thing that is just so zany. It's and it's so non-digital. So what might that look like from your point of view? I'm asking you to just brain dump on that, journal on that, do whatever you want on that, and come back to me with your thoughts on it. And there's nothing, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not attached to the idea. If you think it's a shit idea after you've journaled it, or even if you don't want to journal it, that's cool. Do you mean come up with a format where people could contribute and have a stake in what I'm doing or or contribute out of the kind of like, no, I just want to see it. I want to be part of helping to make it happen. Because, you know, there are, you know, there's crowdfunding and stuff like that. And, and um yeah, you know, I've, I've, I've certainly considered that and yeah, I've not really worked out how to make it happen. I did try doing a crowdfunder earlier in the year and it didn't, it wasn't successful in the sense that I didn't reach the target that I'd set. And, you know, and part of that is kind of like how do you reach people who might be interested or how do you give them enough information about what you want to do? And, um, I'm certainly open to the idea of people kind of like contributing um, uh, to support it and to be linked to the progress and development of what I'm doing. You know, I, one of the, the ideas that I had, uh, uh, you know, a couple of months back was to set up the scheme where you could become a Kazooie angel mm-hmm. and therefore you would receive news about what I'm doing, how I'm trying to do it. And um you know, it's not just a way of people say contributing financially, but a way of people saying, well, do you know what? I've got a mate who's got a lighting system and he's looking to, you know, sell it and you're looking for a lighting system. Why don't I connect you up or, you know, stuff like that. Or you need a removals fan to kind of get, you know, all your stuff from Brighton because you've booked for performances over the summer. Well, you know, it's just practical things where it's about helping and supporting each other. Um, So, that was a kind of an idea that came to me, but uh... I think it might be a pyramid. Maybe there's a base at the bottom where people have just they're part of your vibe, and they might want to chuck ideas in and make introductions and just feel like they're in the know. Then at the top of the pyramid might be a smaller number of people who want to put some money in, maybe even have creative ideas that you may or may not want to know about. And then in between, there might be other layers where. It's more like the crowdfunder type model where people just are sticking a tenner in or I don't know. I'm just asking you to go flesh it out. You're an artist. Go create probably something visual. It's probably not just written, knowing you. Probably it's got visual elements. And then just just run it by me in a week, two weeks. I'm not not telling you what to do. I just, yeah, I can imagine sending you 500 quid even with my initial idea. I don't know what other people might imagine it. Who knows? I see you writing a check this afternoon, and the check. Oh, you! You're in the. You're way back in the last century. A check. <laughs> <laughs> Say that again. I mean, checks still exist, right? Don't they? Somewhere, I don't know where. Except so many more. I do. I do. I'll take a personal check. Good man. Michael still takes checks and seashells. <laughs> <laughs> 
Send mm-hmm. seashells to. <laughs> but I don't mind being, uh, you know, paid in free pastels. That's why I've got problems with my teeth. <laughs> uh, okay, good. Right. Well, I'm going to wrap it up because, as I say, I've got a hard stop. Thank you so much for popping into the hippie hut. Lovely mm-hmm. to speak to you again. We'll have to leave it. We'll leave it as a mystery as to how we actually know each other. But people are going to be wondering, how does Thor know how well Michael can dance? So hopefully they're just assuming we were in a musical together some year. (laughs) Yeah, well, that can be part two. Quite. Thanks, buddy. Oh, before you go, just fire at me. Any thoughts on the conversation? Just anything you want to say before we end up? You can hit me with constructive criticism or, or nothing at all or something in between. Uh, I don't have any constructive criticism. I've had uh, a lovely chat, and um, I I know that I can um, I can talk quite a lot when I get going. So uh, yeah, it, it, you've been uh, patient and uh, uh, and and listened uh, very politely to my spiel's, um, and uh, yeah, and I will definitely take on board what you've said um, about um, you know ways in which people can get involved because I do feel like that's part of the way forward, you know, is, is people sharing. And, um, you know, I've always, you know, the special part of what I do is that it's, it is, you know, creativity is magical. Um, and, uh, and I want to be able to share that with people like the process, you know, um, people who are doing jobs that perhaps don't involve that kind of like level of, of creativity. I sort of feel like, yeah, we'll come along. You know, if, if, if you want to kind of like invest, kind of like come and have a look and be, and, and be a part of the kind of, um, the, you know, when we research and develop and we've got, a, you know, we've got puppeteers in the room and a musician who's just kind of creating as we go along and we've got ideas and, and, and spontaneous happenings, you know, it's such a fun thing to witness, you know, improvisation um, by people who are really top notch at what they do, you know? So I've always kind of felt like, well, that's something I'd love to open up to people, um, you know, in return for a bit of investment is like, come and experience it, you know, come and witness it and share in it and absorb it, you know, because, you know, it's it's amazing. Cool. So there's a corporate development level in your pyramid. I like it. I'm looking forward to seeing this pyramid. Mm-hmm. It's going to be shining with gold, the pyramid. And cool. checks. <laughs> cool. All right. Lovely to talk to you. You too. See you later. Bye-bye.